Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. We are tonight's entertainment. Welcome to the Spin This Podcast, a podcast where we spin everything that is musical and spinning. I am professional platinum record-selling musician Sam Dow, and I'm joined by the also uh, best-selling record player, Aiden Clare. I am a record player, for sure. I, I I function in that capacity. I play records. So th- this brings me to my very, very first subject, and probably the only really important order of business, mm-hmm. is I am now officially a professional musician. Wait, what? I have sold the first ever copy of The Dead Roaches. Oh, yes. Wait, does, does that qualify you? Because then that means that I've been a professional musician since 2015, and I'm yep. like... Uh, I'm def- <laughs> I definitely wouldn't consider you re- myself. You, a you received uh, revenue from your your art that makes you a professional. Amazing. Well, in that but case, now I am along that same tier of professional. I welcome you to the upper echelons of musical society. Yeah. Uh, but seriously, though, you bought the Dead Roaches. You were the first customer. Yeah, I did. Uh, I mean, I mentioned that I would last time that I would buy Dead Roaches because I believe that it is worth the monetary exchange and uh, in its commodity form, it deserves to be purchased. Yeah. And uh, because I uh, I listened back to episode 10 after we finished, uh, after it was uploaded. Uh, and I remember you said, uh, the thing that really made me laugh was when you said uh, that you, that I'd given you pseudo classics disc one on cd yeah uh and when you realize you already owned it you're like oh well i'm not gonna buy that one then. <laughs> and well, no, the reason that the reason that that's funny uh is because as i mentioned previously to you uh i was sending you something for your birthday so i sent a package in the mail and there are two things in there and the one that i'm gonna spoil is it's the dead roaches on cd fuck off <laughs> and so the you- best part <laughs> the very best part is that uh I think I was walking home from the shoppers where I sent the package in the mail. Uh-huh. Uh and you said that you t- you texted me that I'm $5 richer cuz you just bought the album. Okay, so it so was it already in the mail by the time that you uh you purchased it. It wasn't to retroactively make my purchase uh worth nothing. It was actually uh originally a sincere attempt at uh gifting something. So, yeah. Well, uh, I, I was going to say, this also leads me to uh, a discussion about Bandcamp. Uh, so I'm not sure what you typically get when, when you make a sale on Bandcamp, because this is a new experience to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that my share from the $5 purchase was like $3.71. Wait, what? Yeah. I guess there's technically the Bandcamp share, and then there's like taxes too. How much is Bandcamp well, share? One of I them, don't even remember. One, one was... Like forty cents of that was something like credit card fee, which you know what? that's dumb. 
and then uh, their their share. That's so bizarre, dude. Yeah, I can't remember what when the last time somebody has bought any of my records was, but it must have been ages ago. And I don't even remember the amount of revenue I got as a proportion of it. I just remember seeing the nominal amount and thinking, "Holy shit, I'm now a professional musician." <laughs> yeah. And then yeah. I am for that kind of split second, and then uh, and then I go back to the real world. Okay, so uh, I have the receipt up here. Uh-huh. So order total five dollars. Yeah. Uh, and then where the deductions come in, revenue share fifteen percent, so that's seventy five cents. Okay. Uh, applied to your revenue share balance, which is fifteen cents, uh, and then payment processor fee thirty five cents. The fuck? That seems dumb. Yeah. We should just get rid of money altogether. Yeah, I mean, yeah, uh, got to get used to the big. Uh, band camp big band camp fucking me over yeah well i'm sure we'll talk about uh how the institutions fuck you over uh not you in particular but uh, musicians in general but, but, also, but also you me. in particular yeah. <laughs> well i think that the next band camp day uh the first friday of november i think you should buy dead roaches again so that we can compare the receipts well i mean if you hadn't told me that you've already sent me it <laughs> in the mail well, actually, wait, wait. Do you send me pseudo classics or, or dead roaches? No, I sent you uh, dead roaches. Okay. Yeah. Well, if you hadn't you told me, on if you hadn't told me, then you could have leveraged that in order to make me buy it again. But you've already told me, so you've already well, the, uh, screwed the pooch it, it, on that one, bud. Because I was hoping that the package would be here and you would open it in episode. Yeah. Because uh, because there is a a certain day that's tomorrow as of recording. Yeah. Thanksgiving. Also, and Aiden also, turns 26 years old. Oh, yeah. Fuck. Every year, closer and closer to the eclipse. Did I just make it more depressing? Yeah. <laughs> You've, you're the breaking my life. Well, uh, that's we, the truth. We're waking should, should, up. We're waking up to the realities of everything. Speaking up to the bleak uh, mortality of life and death, uh, and, the, fir- the first piece of news that I was going to share... Uh, rest in peace, Van Halen. Yeah, yeah, that was um, that was bizarre because uh, for for some reason I always had assumed that Valen, Van Halen, Valen, Van Halen was an older guy uh, that he had been around for quite a long time, but I, I didn't even know that he had been born in the the year of nineteen fifty five, I believe, and uh, he was only what sixty five years old, I guess that would be. Uh, According to so. arithmetic, but uh, yeah, he was sixty-five. Yeah, so he wasn't like like a an astronomically old person. Like he wasn't like Ennio yeah. Morricone, who we talked about earlier. He was actually you know relatively young. I mean, sixty-five still like you know still quite a long time. But but he died rather prematurely. Like he didn't die of like natural causes or anything like that. Yeah, I think, I think he, he actually, had a throat cancer. Yeah. Or, like, complications relating from dealing with cancer for a number of years. Yeah. It wasn't like uh, Bowie, who was 69, which is, like, the perfect amount of years to have lived. (laughs) The nicest amount of years. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. I mean, it sucks. I I wasn't, like, a, you know, diehard Van Halen fan by any means. Uh, I definitely had a phase where I, uh, where on my MP3 player of the day, I had a couple Van Halen songs in there. Yeah. Uh, running with the devil is a is a big one. 
Yeah, I mean, like the I guess the silver lining of this kind of thing is that whenever an, a big artist like that does pass away, there is like a uh, at least a brief period where there's a big resurgence in interest in their work, where mm-hmm. people kind of go back and like watch YouTube videos of them doing performances and shit. So I mean, that's always a good thing, at least. Yeah, but yeah, that's all I really have to say about that. Rip in peace, Van Halen. Rip. Rip. Ripperinos. I've got just another quick news uh, that I will do. Uh, I'll allow it. Thank you. Uh, so ELO's Jeff Lynn awarded OBE honor for services to music. Yeah. So that's Order of the British Empire, I believe. Yes. Now, that's Which, not the same thing as a knighthood, is it? Right. It's not the same thing from what I've researched. Uh, I I guess, it, like, I, I, I assume it's... I mean, obviously, it's a huge honor. Uh, I think if it were me, I'd prefer the knighthood. <laughs> yeah. Well, if only the fact that if I was the, uh, if I was ELO's Jeff Lynn, <laughs> I'd prefer the knighthood. I think no, most people probably have no idea what an an OBE or a CBE is. Uh, I think most people know just like by the fact that Sir is uh, appended to your name that you are a knight. And it'll be and yeah. being a knight in general is just much more badass. I don't understand what the difference is and why he didn't get the knighthood. Is it not really the same type of honor? I have no clue. Whenever you go on to Wikipedia and you see a particular artist, they might have like an OBE or CBE appended to their names. The only time I actually knew that it was an order of the British Empire was because when I was watching uh, Peaky Blinders and uh, Tommy Shelby, who is like the the central gangster in that show, he like uh, demands a, an OBE from like Churchill or something like that. Yeah. Well, like when I think about like Sir Paul McCartney, he's got the yeah. knighthood. Yeah. Sir Elton John, he's got the knighthood. Yeah. And then Jeff Lynne of Electric Light Orchestra. Like okay, I get it. Yeah, he's he's not McCartney. He's not Elton John. True, but it's a hell of an honor nonetheless. True, true. Unfortunately, the British Empire is not really that much of an empire anymore. <laughs> and, and like I guess, uh, like I know Canada has the Order of Canada. Yeah, yeah. And uh, uh, Gord Downey got that, I believe. Yeah, uh, towards the end of his life. I think we should have an equivalent of a knighthood in Canada is what is the main point I'm getting at. Yeah. My Mountie hood. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You are basically an honorary Mountie. Yeah. But what would you put? Would you put sir in front of your name? Mm. Or would you, what would you put instead? Uh, officer. I don't know. What what are Mountie? Well, I guess my stepdad is a Mountie. I should technically know this. <laughs> For the Canadian or the Order of Canada equivalent of a knighthood. Honorary uh, you're, sergeant. You're, yeah, you get at the beginning of your name, you get, excuse me, officer. <laughs> officer. <laughs> excuse me, officer Aiden Claire. Yeah. Well, I mean, like Canada is a pretty small country. I could probably put my hat in to be an officer of the Mounties. <laughs> Also, my, like I said, my stepdad is a is a Mountie, so there's uh, I could uh, gotten in there. Yeah, so nepotism, a little bit of uh, yeah, yeah. You can put in a good word for me with the yeah. uh, governor general, I guess. Yeah, the commissioner of the Mounties. I don't know. Yeah. Um, did you have a, a news? 
Okay, yeah. So my piece of news is uh, concerning an aspect of the music industry that we might have alluded to in the past, and uh, also an aspect of the music industry that we definitely have alluded to in the past. The former being the royalties that you get from uh, publishing your music or recording your music, and the latter being Kanye West. <laughs> and you know, okay, I'm not going to make this about Kanye West. I'm going to save that to myself many times. I'm not going to make this about Kanye West. I'm not going to make this about Kanye. But he actually has a good take here. So um, I'm actually, this is going to be a positive piece on Kanye West from my perspective. So uh, Kanye uh, West I'm has, intrigued. Yeah, so Kanye West has um, uh, made several public uh, Twitter posts and such about the idea of owning your own master recordings if you are an artist. So as we might have alluded to in the past, there's two types of royalties that you can get from making music in general and having it out there in the world. Uh, the first would be composition-related royalties or composition copyright, which is uh, things like performing rights royalties, which we've talked about a million times, and things like you know mechanical royalties, so the right to have your stuff uh, reproduced, and all that stuff. And there's also recording ro royalties, which is, uh, this is basically the same thing as master rights or master royalties. Uh, hmm. And as we also may have alluded to in the past, Master royalties are typically owned by whoever pays for or commissions a recording. So it, in a lot of cases, and this actually is apropos of the article that I'm about to talk about, in many cases that is the record label. Uh, so there have been many instances in the past where artists have uh, you know, not reaped the revenues that they typically would because a lot of those revenues have been owned by the record label who in exchange for an advance, you know, have the recording rights to their music uh, mm. because what they do is they typically say like, you know, you, the publisher and the artist typically own the copyright to the composition. So, yeah. you know, if somebody wants to do a cover or whatever, or they want to, you know, license it to put it in a film, you know, they would get part of the royalties from that. But as mm -hmm. far as earning uh, royalties from the recording, most, if not all of that, goes to the record label if they pay for the recording. Now, um, you know, this is becoming less and less of a big thing, but it is some, a staple of the recording industry in the 20th century and still, to some extent, part of the 21st century. Uh, that is still like a big issue for a lot of artists because it's an entire revenue stream that is not going to the artist. It is actually going to the record label. And this is probably another reason why, as I've mentioned in the past, a lot of artists don't even earn a lot of money from recorded music, but rather yeah. uh, reap that revenue from, you know, doing live shows and merchandise and all that stuff. Uh, there's another thing called the 360 deal, which is one I wanted to talk about, where a lot of uh, record labels will get a piece of that stuff too, right? They'll get a piece of live revenue, they'll get a piece mm. of uh, merchandise. There's a lot of instances where record labels will try to cash in on as many royalties and revenue as they possibly can. And Kanye West is actually, you know, I believe in the right here in saying, you know, artists should at least get some percentage of the recording royalties, especially considering mm -hmm. the fact that the other royalties, the composition-related royalties, in many cases are split between the artist and the publisher. Uh, right. A publisher uh, is somebody who typically 
signs the artist up for you know all their organizations is typically represents their artist tries to uh you know get them out there um in some cases uh sends their music into uh radio stations all that stuff but um the uh but in in exchange for that they usually take some percentage of the uh royalties that would otherwise go to the uh, copyright holder who is the artist since you know the person who creates whatever the art is typically originally has 100% share of all their composition royalties uh, right. so if you think about it like a revenue is actually split in several different areas and it all kind of depends in many cases on you know contracts and all that other stuff and I think uh, in this case, it's right for Kanye to kind of raise awareness of that and say, you know, if you're an artist, maybe you should consider uh, actually owning some portion of your uh, master royalties as well, or your master, yeah, uh, uh, yeah, your master royalties, so, your uh, copyright. So a lot of musicians don't own the master royalties because the record label or record company paid for the recording to be able to happen, and then they. Yeah as part of that deal they get full rights to the to the master royalty or whatever exactly recording yeah so Um, they usually front the cost of the recording they usually give the artist an advance which then they use in order to get the album or song or whatever recorded yeah so let's say kanye west he doesn't own his master recordings Mm -hmm. but he owns the composition rights yes to his own music could he then self-fund a new recording of his stuff that he's already written and released and then just, you know, use those recordings? Like, almost like do a remaster of his work, but completely re-record it himself yes, with his own I- funding. And then he would subvert the record company that owns his recordings. Yes, absolutely. And there was actually a band that did this. I think it was Def Leppard that because they actually didn't own a lot of the intellectual property uh, specifically related to the recording rights on a lot of their earlier material, they actually went back and self-funded the recording so that they would then own the rights to those recordings as well. I believe it was Def Leppard that did this. And uh, we talked about this in college, so I'm not sure... Uh, off the top of my head, I mean, uh, I could be wrong about that, but yeah, I think that that's that is actually something that has happened before concerning your question. Cool, cool, but yeah, yeah uh, well, in a surprising turn of events, we agree with Kanye, yeah. Well, I mean, like, there are probably things we agree with Kanye on, but that doesn't make his music better. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, I'm gonna Kanye. be hounded to the ends of the earth, but I, you know, whatever. I said I wouldn't get into Kanye. So stop encouraging me, Sam. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, okay. Um, So did we want to go to Joe Pass, Joe Smash? Let's do some Joe Passing and Joe Smashing. Joe Pass or Joe Smash. Uh, So full disclosure, uh, I didn't listen to this one. And I didn't prepare one either. Oh, no. So you'll uh, you'll take the lead here. Okay, yeah. So uh, the Gorillas, uh, I mean, they're a, a band that has existed for quite some time. They're kind of known for being an animated band. All of their uh, music videos have featured the artists uh, in their kind of animated forms. They're kind of uh, you know second persona, if you will. 
Uh, they're headed up by uh, Damon Albarn, who is the uh, lead singer of Blur. To be honest with you, I don't really know who many of the other musicians in, in Gorillaz are. Uh, I kind of always associate it with being kind of like a Damon Albarn project. Overall, I would say the Gorillaz is a really cool project, and I'm you know interested usually in seeing the new stuff that they come out with. But they've made some like pretty bland records, too. Uh, now, uh, this is one instance where I think they have got uh, a really good track on their hands. Uh, the song is called The Pink Phantom, and it features uh, Elton John and Six Lack. I suppose I suppose that's supposed to be pronounced black, but... Yeah, the uh, six is the B. Yeah. Um, I, I thought this was a pretty cool song. Like... Uh, it's, uh, you know, ostensibly a pop song. I'm not really sure how it's doing uh, in the charts, uh, whether it's kind of achieved any mainstream success. But, uh, you know, it's a really almost uh, uh, kind of a fusion of, you know, hip hop and down tempo, but also with more of Elton John's kind of, uh, you know, bellowing, you know, almost rock type vocals. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's a really cool composition. Uh the the uh, hip hop artist Black, I, like I said, I think that's how you pronounce it, is only featured in a very kind of cursory capacity, with uh, Damon Albarn and also uh, Elton John, who I said before is the feature, uh, primarily doing most of the Sir vocals. Sir Elton John. Yeah, Sir Elton John. Not Elton John of the British order or Elton order of yeah. the British Empire. Yeah, the British Empire. So that's all I have to say. I I'd say that it's a uh, Joe Smash, and it also really? has kind of led me to listen to also some of the other tracks that have been off this album. There's another real cool one with uh, I believe it was Peter Hook from New Order. It was kind of uh, uncanny valley music-wise because it actually sounded a lot like a New Order song, uh, but with uh, Damon Albarn doing the vocals. Yeah, I mean, uh, it, it's a good song, and I, a few of the songs that I've heard so far off of what it is, what I would assume to be a new record are quite good, uh, but uh, this one in particular is one that I really like, and this, by that I'm ret- referring to the Pink uh, Phantom, the one that uh, uh, originally I was supposed to discuss, but uh, yeah. yeah, that's pretty much all I've got as far as that goes. Um, you, you said you haven't listened to this song? No. I do recommend it. It's all right. I'll I'll give if it's a Joe Smash by your standards, I will judge your standards by listening <laughs> to it. You will judge my standards by whether or not I like the song. Yes, it'll more give me an idea of how I should feel about you rather than the song, knowing if you liked it. Fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> so what's what's next on the agenda? What do we typically do after this? The um... uh, we usually go to uh, get wrecked. Do you have an album? I I do have one. Okay, so you do yours Um, first. So the album I want to recommend is called En Francais by a band called Pomplamousse. So Pomplamousse is like a... uh, uh, I think pr- primarily on YouTube uh, is where I've discovered their stuff. I'm pretty sure it's m- mostly a husband and wife duo. I'm pretty sure that the husband of this uh, duo is the like founder of Patreon. Oh. 
so this album uh, and it's also featuring uh, a guitarist named uh, John Schroeder. Uh, so it's a bunch. Uh, it's uh, like maybe seven songs, and they're all covers of what I assume are uh, French jazz standards. So that all the lyrics are in French, obviously, and uh, the guitaring is very. Uh, I don't know how to describe it other than French jazzy. <laughs> so, like, if you're imagining jazz music in France right now, eh. I mean, not uh, right now as in present day, but but at this moment, if you're picturing it in your head and you're thinking of what does French jazz sound like, it sounds exactly like that. It sounds like Django Reinhardt? Uh, I don't know uh, that musician, but if I'm picturing stereotypical French jazz in my head, then that's exactly what it sounds like. Oh. I think he was technically, he, I don't think he was technically from France, but he did all of his like major work in France. Yeah. But I think you would like this for uh, its uh, its jazziness as well as the guitaring of it. Because cool. I know you like guitar and jazz. I do like those things. And I do also particularly like it when those things are together in one thing. Well, then you're in luck. Then this is the this. thing for you. Right. I really want to recommend this album to Sam because I'm surprised that I haven't recommended it yet, or at is least it, not formally recommended it to Sam or to the audience of Spin This. So the artist that I wanted to recommend and the album that I wanted to recommend of that artist is the album Dreams by Gabor Zsebo, uh, who I believe is a, a Hungarian guitarist, also guitar. Um, it's it is a jazzy record. I would not necessarily categorize it as a jazz record. Um, I suppose uh, some have categorized it as gypsy jazz. There's a lot of improvised segments, but I wouldn't necessarily call it a jazz record. Uh, a lot of the compositions are a little more straightforward, and while they have a kind of jazz swing to them, and a definitely a jazz production, they aren't you know necessarily jazz. And I've said jazz a million times now, and it's driving me insane. But uh, yeah, no, it is a uh, uh, a lot of them have, uh, the tracks that is off of this album, have a lot of um, arrangements other than the typical small kind of chamber instrumentation that you wouldn't, you, that you would normally expect from a jazz ensemble. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, there are some strings, there are some horns as well, um, kind of added onto your standard fare. Um, there is also another guitarist that I believe features on this record who plays uh, acoustic guitar. Gabor Jebo primarily playing electric guitar on this record. It's a great record. There's some great, um, very kind of catchy tunes that off this record. Uh, this is an album that I would kind of categorize as algorithm core, like uh, stuff algorithm. that you would <laughs> algorithm core, <laughs> stuff that you would typically find on uh, YouTube just accidentally because it was in the recommended oh, okay. for you. you. You have told me about algorithm core before. Yeah, algorithm core, the emerging genre. Um, yeah. But, um, you know, it's it's a great record. It's an enjoyable record. It's uh, also what I would uh, characterize as apartment core. Uh, good, f- good for kind of putting on in your uh, apartment, your overpriced apartment, and uh, just chilling. Um, yeah, you, you've also told me of apartment core. Yeah, apartment core is a lot more vague, but yeah. uh, it's the stuff that I would typically associate with somebody who, uh, you know, has an apartment with, like, you know, those <laughs> huge amounts of records that are kind of like 
stacked up in a way that you're not supposed to actually stack up records. So like, not have you been horizontally? What? <laughs> I said, have you been watching me? <laughs> Wait, <laughs> you don't you don't you're... stack your records horizontally, do you? No, uh, I do have a, a, a large collection of records, and I don't even have my record player hooked up yet. Oh, okay. Well, as long as you don't stack your records horizontally, then that's the main thing. No, they're stacked. Uh, or they're not stacked. They're like bookshelved. Okay. Well, I mean, uh, because the one thing I hate is seeing other people's records damaged by their own negligence. No, I don't care. I will definitely listen to this Dreams Gabor Zabo. I, I don't even know how you pronounce it. I, I just read it, and I assumed that that's how it's pronounced. Yeah. Uh, so you listened to Physical Graffiti? I did listen to Physical Graffiti. And you didn't... Do you fuck with it or do you not fuck with it? Um, I thought it was pretty good overall. Uh, There's definitely some like standout tracks on it. Uh, oh, fuck. I can't remember off the top of my head. But obviously this big song on the record is Kashmir. The, yeah. the song bef- right before Kashmir. And then there's a song right after Kashmir that are also like straight up bangers. Uh, the song before Kashmir, oh, I can't remember what it's called. Uh, Trampled Underfoot. Yeah. I believe that's the one with the, um, the, uh, the clavichord in it, right? Yeah. 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 That's a great song. It's got a great groove to it. Yeah. There's just a few, a few other songs after one. One of them sounds like it almost has a more of a progressive rock sound to it. Uh, I think it was in the show Mindhunter. That's yeah, the, where I in the light song. That's yeah, I yeah, I dig that one too. That one, yeah, I fuck with that one. Yeah, that's probably that's probably maybe my second favorite off the album after uh, Ten Years Gone. Yeah, it's a. I would say that there's there's some few standout tracks, but I mean, like overall, I thought it was. I mean, it was all right. There is just uh, some str- stuff is like almost more straight up, kind of like a rock riff to it that i was yeah. like okay well this is kind of cool but it's just not for me you know there are some that i can tell were the added ones like the they had some that were outtakes of previous albums that they yeah. included i feel like i do really enjoy this album and i've probably listened to it uh quite a few times over the past couple months but i think if you did the three side album instead of adding all the outtake stuff there would probably be like a very solid album. Yeah, yeah. But at the same time, some of the songs that were the outtakes are actually pretty good. Yeah, I'm definitely going to like... Some of them are a little more stripped down or bare bones. Yeah, one of the things that I probably will do is investigate Led Zeppelin records more because like you said, I mean, before listening to this record from beginning to end, I don't think I've properly listened to a Led Zeppelin record. Uh... I think another one that I want to hit up is Led Zeppelin Four, because just investigating mm-hmm. it, it does have a lot of like some of the some of my uh, more favored Led Zeppelin tracks on it. So, um, probably yeah. my favorite Led Zeppelin album, I probably say is Houses of the Holy. Oh yeah, uh, that one, uh, especially as a uh, start to finish kind of album, is very good. I don't really remember. Oh, yeah, I guess Led Zeppelin 4 has is the one with Stairway to Heaven, and uh, I think Black Dog is on that one. Yeah. Led Zeppelin 3, I really like. It's got a song called Celebration Day on it, uh, which I really like. And I think it has the, the Immigrant song on it. And then I think Led Zeppelin 2 is a very bluesy album, or at least I associate it as being the bluesier album. Mm. Um, but yeah, those are all good albums. You should listen to all the albums, Aiden. I'll, I'll probably will at some point. 
Uh, so for this next segment, uh, is something that uh, has been dubbed Spinster Spundles. Uh, the title, you know, I'm not as, ha- as happy with it as I was when I first made the file called Spinster Spundles. But it was a music challenge that I came up with where the idea was I made a, uh, I generated a, a drum sequence in Logic, threw in a few tempo changes, uh, varied some styles up, and then Aiden picked a key, and we both were to create a song that goes with the drum loop, or at least parts of a song that go with that drum loop yeah. in the same key, and then without listening to each other's stuff, we would put all the parts together uh, to create a song where both of us haven't heard the other person's part, and then that fell apart immediately. <laughs> Yeah, so, so I started doing as it was agreed, and uh, and then Aiden, uh, what did you do? Uh, well, what I what is best to describe what I've done is the word wank. Uh, so I've the original instructions on what to do, which were pretty basic. Uh, I did not follow them, uh, and in my defense, it is because we we do exchange a lot of Facebook messages, and a lot oh, yeah. of them do get kind of buried over time. Yeah. And so basically what I did was I went off whatever my most recent memory of the uh, rules of it were. And that was basically to basically just add stuff onto the project. And then, you know, it goes back and forth and we just keep adding stuff. But I I totally forgot that we, (laughs) for one thing, had established the key of G sharp major as the as the key it is important to note that it's not the key of a flat major not the key of a flat major if you say that it is that key uh you know i don't know what i can do to save you uh it is the key of g sharp major a much cooler and more sophisticated key um now that's totally irrelevant because i didn't even follow those instructions (laughs) i will say that i had written a bass line and a cool little synthy thing in g sharp major But I had to abandon all that because then you did a, a, you did, I will admit, the chord progression you came up with while not being in the very cool progress or uh, key of G sharp major, it was very cool and it was worth abandoning my initial parts and starting from scratch to follow your mistakes. Yeah, it was wank, but it was like wank in the, in the vein of like John Coltrane. It it had a very kind of. John Coltrane, like um, a giant steps, like weird kind of unexpected yeah. progression to it. Yeah, I mean, so I mean, in in the end, it actually sounded kind of cool. Uh, I what I did was after Sam uh, laid down the initial drum beat, I was looking for something that I thought would be a good uh, accompanying line or something to establish the harmony. And the first thing that I thought was uh, it would be cool to employ a Hammond B3 organ because I don't use a lot of Hammond B3 organ in my compositions. Um, In fact, uh, I think the only time I ever used the Hammond B3 synth sampler or whatever was in uh, the VHS experience where there's like Mm. a very brief appearance of a Hammond B3 because it was a... Uh, invoking a, a sort of sort of like Brazilian bossa nova atmosphere, and so I was like, okay, Hammond B three, it is. Um, so uh, in this case, I laid down those chords, those exact chords, using the Hammond B three uh, sampler on Logic, and it just didn't sound exactly that cool. 
Um, so I searched for alternative instruments to use, and I had made a, a sort of synthesizer on Logic uh, just using, I think it was the ES2 synthesizer, or it might have been the um, uh, Retro Synth synthesizer on Logic. I created my own preset, as it were, and uh, it sounds very much like a Rhodes keyboard. It doesn't sound precisely like a Rhodes keyboard. It, it doesn't have that kind of upper harmonics. Uh, mm. So it has almost more of like a sine wavy kind of sound to it, but uh, more in the realm of a Rhodes keyboard with the kind of tremolo-y sound. Uh, and then what I did after that was I kind of pitched it down. If you, as in you listeners, have ever heard the song Everything in Its Right Place by Radiohead, it kind of sounds like that. Uh, but it's not really that prevalent in the mix, as you will soon find out. But uh, yeah, I mean, that was, it ended up sounding cool. cool. It had the kind of like a deep kind of bassy sound to it. Not not necessarily like a bass sound, but uh, a kind of uh, a, a low kind of deep kind of relaxing sound to it. Yeah, and then uh, I added the bass part. Um, but at the time of adding the bass part, I thought... Uh, we were still following the original rules of Spinster Spundle. Yeah. So uh, you had written out the chord progression for me, and I played, uh, like, I just, like, made myself, like, something to work off of and just uh, did, like, a series of uh, whole note bars following the chord progression, and then I recorded my bass part to that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then until, like, way later after finishing, and we decided that, the spinster spundle rules were no more. Uh, I actually listened to your part, and uh, I, it went pretty well with what the bass was doing. The bass uh, both introduces and then it also uh, acts as the coda for this song. Like, there's a bass at the very end, there's a bass at the very beginning. I think it's probably because I just didn't yeah. want to re- repeat the same keyboard line. Uh, and I was thinking of something else to happen uh, after the... Uh, the keyboard repeating kind of line that to put in um, with the drums, but I didn't, I, I was going to maybe do that afterwards. But then after you added the bass, I was like, oh, I actually kind of like how it sounds with the bass both introducing and also uh, acting as the end to the song as well. So I was just, I'll just keep it like that. <laughs> yeah. So was it was there... partly out of laziness, I'll, I'll admit. Yeah. Was there any yeah. other parts of it? Oh, there was the guitar that you added. Yes. Oh, yeah. Oh, I'll explain this one. So I wanted to add a kind of funky guitar part. Originally, I was thinking, like, I'll add, like, a, um, a Nile Rodgers, like, uh, you know, a palm-muted guitar part. I actually ended up settling on a kind of funky wah guitar sound. And the reason why I did that was because uh, in Logic, uh, there is a pedal board plug-in that you can use. And there are several wah pedals. And I didn't even know that you can do this, but you can change the position of the, you know, simulated wah pedal, like this position that you would normally alter with your foot uh, by uh, dragging and uh, scrolling with your uh, mouse. Uh, And what I did was like, well, okay, the only way this work is with automation. I just re-recorded automation over the track so that it sounded like the wah pedal was going up and down like in real time. Yeah. And uh, yeah, actually it ended up sounding pretty cool. The only thing is that uh, I had to bring the uh, the level of the guitar way the fuck down. 
It's like sort of it, it is basically a filter. It's like if you um, yeah. if you ever used a filter in your music, if you have it doing that kind of periodical thing where the cutoff changes, it just causes your levels to spike like mad. So yeah, uh, yeah. so I had to uh, go back and change things a bit. But you know, in in the end, it sounded all right. Is there such thing as a MIDI controller wah pedal? Uh, I, I would assume that if you had like a MIDI controller, like a, like a MIDI keyboard, like a little Akai yeah. one, you could use it to automate the, the wah pedal plugin. Like I have a MIDI controller or yeah. a, a MIDI keyboard yeah. and I've, um, when I've recorded keyboard parts or whatever, and then when I want to use like the pitch bend thing, I can then record over that recording and just be doing the pitch bend. Yeah. And it'll Does like your- add it to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Does your MIDI controller have little knobs on it and stuff? Yeah. You can set those knobs to automate things. Like, uh, you have to assign them. Like, you have to go into the plugin and then, like, assign them to the knobs on the controller. And then what you can do is that after you've recorded the the MIDI file, like the actual audio itself, you can go back and automate whatever setting on the plugin. The uses that I would be doing aren't, like, particularly repetitious or something that could be automated like it made sense to do it manually in those cases but i was able to do it with the controller so say you had like i on my controller it has a plug-in plug for the uh uh for the sustain pedal yeah could you use something like a sustain pedal but like map it to uh, the wah feature on a guitar and then oh. be able to like use a controller like that. So then you're just playing guitar with a foot pedal as your normal setup would be. Yeah. I mean, theoretically you could, um, you would have to have something cause like a wah pedal doesn't work the exact same as a sustain pedal. A sustain pedal is basically like on or off. Is it sustaining or is it not? Uh, yeah, no, that's true. Yeah. You would have to have something that reacts to pressure, right? Like an actual wah pedal. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I think you can get an like, expression just, pedal. Yeah, couldn't you just get a wah pedal uh, and somehow, like, if it can interact with audio from a guitar, then I don't no, see no, no. why it couldn't easily be... It has to be able uh, to transmit MIDI signals, right? Uh, like, it has to be able to transmit yeah. electronic signals, whereas a wah pedal is, uh, you know, is able, actually has to distort... Uh, like electrical signals, it, like uh, what do you call but it? Couldn't it just Acoustic send a, like a blank signal and be able to interpret how much it's modifying it and then translate that into numbers that would affect the wah plug? Are you saying like with an actual wah pedal? <laughs> I am at this point, but if you can just make a digital version of it, then skip those other steps. Yeah, but you would have to have like something that converts those signals from the pressure of the wah pedal. I mean, there's actually pedals that you already do, do that. This. Is what I'm saying. Yeah, I mean, there's actually pedals that already do this. Like you have an expression pedal. Like if, I'm not sure if you have one, but an expression pedal does this, where it actually uh, reacts to different pressures that you actually put on the pedal itself. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think people use expression pedals a lot when they're doing like uh, uh, composing and stuff like that, and they actually play MIDI notes and then they use the expression pedal to, to change different um, MIDI settings on their uh, presets or whatever. Like you can change it. Is it, use it to change like dynamics or that kind of shit. Yeah. You should use one of those. Right. 
Yeah, yeah. I think you can probably get them at Long and McQuaid. Uh, so now that we've talked a lot about this song, yeah. uh, we're going to end the episode here. And then uh, instead of our usual fade out, we'll just it'll play the whole song because it's yeah. only like a minute and a half long. Uh, so thank you for listening to this episode of the Spin This Podcast, uh, where we have been spinning and Aiden has also been spinning. Um, and I've been Sam Dow. And I've been uh, platinum musician Aiden Clare. Platinum birthday boy Aiden Clare. Yeah. Uh, and you will spin with us again. Oh, yeah. <laughs>